Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. I have had the good fortune to be involved with businesses that have always acted on an international platform. So even in 1995, when I started my first company, we were doing business in South America, Europe, Asia, United States, almost out of the gate because it was an international telecoms business. I've always had the globe as my canvas because I've had to think that way. This is Suncast. In every battle, there's a front line. On that front line are warriors whose courage and action shape the outcome of the battle. The world is currently engaged in a literal power struggle, a battle in global energy as it evolves from fossil fuels to renewable energy. Suncast is a conversation with solar warriors on the front lines, building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. We learn their secrets to personal and professional growth, market development, and industry insights. And now, join solar industry veteran, Latin America fanatic, and your host, Nico Johnson. Hey friend, really glad to have you join us again today for another episode of Suncast. We're going to take a break from the LATAM Founders Series, but not from meeting yet another solid founder in the solar industry. Hey, but before we begin, you know, I've really enjoyed the voicemails and LinkedIn messages, even some phone calls lately with you listeners, so please do keep the feedback coming. As always, you can shoot me an email, a LinkedIn message, or even just pop over to the website and leave me a quick voicemail right from your smartphone. Email is nico at mysuncast.com, and for those of you that need explanation, the website is mysuncast.com. Well, today on Suncast, you'll meet John Bonanno. Chief Commercial Officer of Empower Micro. I'm reaching back into the vault again from SPI, Solar Power International. Today's episode was actually recorded live on the trade show floor. So again, I've done all I can to reduce the background noise. Hopefully, it's not too distracting. John is a mentor and a friend, and he knows a ton about technology, launching and growing new companies, and is really well-versed in the challenges of the solar industry. So in the next 30 minutes, we discuss... John's penchant for making up new words, see if you can figure out which ones, why he believes module-level power electronics, or MLPE, is the most appropriate technology for rooftop projects, how to survive when you're founding companies that are way ahead of their time or the market, and of course, so much more. Thanks again for taking the time to be here with me. Enjoy this week's episode of Suncast with John Bonanno. I've always had the globe as my canvas because I've had to think that way. We were dealing with, gosh, Guinea-Bissau and Nui and Tuvalu and all sorts of crazy places that no one's ever heard of, but it expanded my view of opportunity in a way that was pretty much impossible to do for someone that's born and raised in New England and, uh, and you know, new college graduate. You know? So I've, I've had that experience right from the earliest point in my career. Today on Suncast, we are interviewing John Bonanno, entrepreneur, father, mentor, leader in the solar industry and in many other industries prior to that. 
and a friend of mine who I've asked to come on this show and talk about his experience as an entrepreneur, as a business builder and a visionary for what could be in this industry. And he is currently engaged in a project called Empower, which has been commercially rolled out as the Ultraverter with Keiko. And uh, John, welcome to the show. Thank you, Nico. Great to be here. Yeah, man. We're live at Solar Power International. How's the show going for you? The conference has been great so far. Uh, I think the interest in power electronics or smart power is just beginning to peak. Uh, we see Enphase has done a great job. We see that SolarEdge is now taking a significant bite in their market share and even surpassing them. Um, but I give them both a lot of credit for creating a, a, an industry, which is the MLPE industry. And I think that at this moment in the solar industry, it's undisputed that rooftops is the place for MLPE. And certainly uh, large machines are at a cost point that MLPE may never get to that competitive cost point. But it's kind of irrelevant because half the market worldwide and the most valuable solar is a DG system. Really, the, the 500 megawatt ground mounted desert systems are not particularly useful or even wanted by the by the power business. <laughs> Preach, preacher. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's it's uh, you're right. The value of a intelligent power generation device being broken down into the smallest increment possible is valuable to everyone, you know, including groups like the CPUC in California, the, Cali the California Public Utility Commission, who is responsible for the quality of the power on the public grid. So we, we start to think about um, doing smart energy, um, interactivity with solar arrays, energy integration, energy storage integration, being a better gridison with these renewable assets. Gridison, is that a word that you've made up? I, I don't know, I it, it. it just seems to work. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and when we think this way, we have to have the control and the high power factor right out at the edge, mm. or else we really can't control the asset with the way we want to. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that the, the, the power business has always been great at securitizing their assets, whether it's pipelines or natural gas-fired power plants or coal or whatever it might be. Solar has just begun to experience that. Solar City's done a marvelous job at securitizing their assets, and they continue to do so. Um, and others are following, certainly. But if we, as an industry, are growing up into being a Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs uh, uh, target for securitization and bringing these products to Main Street in solar bonds or smart energy bonds, then we have to be serious and mature in our business practices and in our technology that we're deploying. Mm. So you have some experience with helping industries grow into their big boy pants. Can you tell me a little about your, your background as an entrepreneur? Well, I'll give you one little story about how I was, in fact, I was speaking with a, an investor just yesterday and he was making mention about how I was so early on something and it was really true. I, I was super early on um, floating foundations for utility scale wind projects. Wow. And uh, I founded a company called Principal Power back in the 2006 timeframe. And uh, I founded it, co-founded it with another person and I served as a director and uh, the president of the company for a fair bit of time. And we were just really, really early. Um, the team at Principal Power is absolutely fantastic. Um, I still am an amazing supporter. They ended up bringing in great investors from Europe. 
um, and the projects have been phenomenal. And now they're really starting to hit the the uh, the explosion rate where they're getting a lot of developer traction. So they had a two megawatt turbine, which is about 400 tons, mm. on an 800 excuse me an 80 meter uh, mast floating in the Atlantic Ocean for over two and a half years, performing as inspected. Wow. So when you say floating, you actually mean on top of water. I mean floating in the ocean. Whoa. In the open ocean. So we, I, I was thinking like floating concrete. Like no, is he, what's he talking about? It's a, it's a metal structure at, this t at the moment, and it floats on the ocean, and it has a 400-ton nacelle 80 meters above the surface in the ocean. And does it have a pendulum on the bottom, a, a counterbalance? Nope. 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 Incredible. Yeah, have to look it's, up it's amazing. Power. So, so this was an early. This is an example, Nico, of something that was so early, and we really had amazing early angel investors that supported the company. We had super dedicated staff, great, just great, great people. Yeah. And uh, now we've got a fantastic CEO who's the former Horizon Wind uh, COO. We oh, wow. recruited him over. Yeah. And he's now the CEO of Principal Power. So that company is is in a completely different trajectory. The technology was great. The timing was not fantastic. We were about three years early, and now it's just starting to pick up. Right. So you had to survive through some really, really difficult times. And, yeah. and when you're an entrepreneur, and if it's your passion, then you're going to find a way. There's always a way. Uh, everything that you see is just, and even every no that you receive is just a yes in disguise. Yeah. And you just must believe that, it's and you'll data. find a way. Yeah, yeah it's, it's information, yeah. right? It's how can I optimize my product? How can I optimize my pitch? How can I, how yeah. can I optimize my relationship with my team? This, it's always about feedback. Your universe is feeding back to you, so just listen carefully. Yeah. No, that's uh, actually... At some point, I want to actually dig into that specific topic as well. Yeah. Team building is so important. Yeah. Uh, so, Principal Power was instrumental, and you guys were out on a limb doing something completely different. Yeah. Uh, I, I remember when you were doing something completely different, uh, incidentally talking about a story. Uh, in 2012, John shows up at the Trina headquarters. Oh, yeah. In his uh, in his Volkswagen, yeah. and I jump in, and he carries me down to. Uh, it was it was sort of like, what might it have been seeing uh, Steve Jobs start Apple? Yeah. Uh, I watch as you drive up in a driveway of a of a nondescript neighborhood. Yep. Pull up the roll up the garage. Cupertino garage. Door. Yeah. Literally, it was the garage was, of uh, my co-founder of Empower Micro. Exactly. Uh, and, and out comes a Trina solar module. Yep. And it's connected by like literally just hand wired, jinky cables, hand wired. <laughs> yep. And I'm going, what is this? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and it was the birth of Empower. That's Can you right. Tell me about that. That's right. So I started Empower, um, and I'm I was one of the first investors in the company. Served as a director, served for a time as a director, and we we started this based on the idea because I I had I was really involved in in some solar power plant ownership in Europe at the time. And really the, the problem always, almost always, was either two things. One is installer mistakes or just not having enough trainers for your installers or, um, or the inverter. And, and it was a real problem uh, with, uh, you know, whether it was false tripping or whether it was installed incorrectly or whether it was just a manufacturing defect or doing RMAs or whatever it might be. And I, I started thinking that there must be a better way to do this. And um, so we, we looked at 
what was out there in the technology field and Enphase is doing a high voltage parallel connected device on low power, which is extremely difficult to do at low cost. And obviously you're seeing that in their financials hmm. over the last several quarters, it's been a bloodbath because they're now fighting with a string inverter with a DC optimizer. Right. And that technology platform really championed forward by SolarEdge has been very successful at bringing the cost down. Um, ultimately, it's great for solar because the whole capex of equipment is going down and that's very positive. Um, I also think it's really positive that we're having module level power electronics so dominant in the rooftop market, which really is the optimal type of architecture to look at. So Empower decided that we were gonna do a low voltage series connected AC output. So it's a, effectively an AC string, right. but each unit is a low voltage unit. So no unit goes beyond 35 volts AC output. Mm. By doing this, which is an incredibly hard problem to solve, it took us almost three and a half years to get it right. And that was a big survival period that was very difficult. Uh, but again, our investors were fantastic. Our staff were amazing. Um, we just had so many things that happened that were wonderful. Lots of things that happened that weren't so wonderful. Um, but we survived and, and now we're really thriving in this market because the low voltage series connected architecture is superior bar none. Mm. It is more reliable than all options. It's more efficient than all options. It's lower cost ultimately at the scale that we're at with MLPE of all options. It's safer, it's easier to use, it's easier to design. So ultimately it is the path. Uh, it's just getting up to scale is very difficult. So right now we're in the scaling mechanism which is, uh, it, it can be a challenge sometimes. So we're, we're, we're facing that wall right now, but I think we're, we're finding ways over it. Yeah, so at, at its core, I remember you said, uh, there were two things you said. You said, I believe in a world where uh, power is generated in the junction box. Mm -hmm. and, um, and you also introduced to me the first time uh, the notion of something called chip scale inversion. That's right. Is, is yeah. that still, are well, those still Empower Micro, what you do? Yeah, it's, so Empower Micro is a semiconductor company. So you can think of us as Intel with the brains and we work with you know, world-class manufacturers. One of our customers is Keiko New Energy and you mentioned before their Ultraverter platform, which is really fantastic. And, and um, it's worthy of mention that, that you know, Keiko has come out pretty early around the Ultraverter platform. Um, and, and they spent a lot of effort on making sure that this product was bulletproof because it's their balance sheet and they actually care about that. And so for a, they are the first German qualified manufacturer to put a 25 year warranty on any product. And so it took them a long time to get there. Right. So we've done, you know, 3,700 hours of damp heat without a failure. We've done 43,000 power cycles without a failure. Just sort of extreme reliability testing yeah. that is really unheard of in industry. And we hope to, at Empower, because this is our business, we hope to create standards around this that you see in much in the module business is quite similar. Um, you know, the snow loading and these sort of standard tests, we want to have that for MLPE because we know that we'll compete very well in that space. But, but back to the basics is Empower Micro is a semiconductor company that sells our semiconductors to qualified manufacturers. One is Keiko, but there are certainly uh, potentially others in that, in that mix too. Yeah, how, how does it work when you need to obviously have a Keiko, uh, we'll call it partner, but 
it's meant to go on the back of a module. How, how does that marriage work? It's a good question. Um, the PV module manufacturers themselves can manufacture the product. It's very simple. Or they could consign the chipset to a qualified ZM, like um, you know anyone that's qualified, Foxconn, right. whomever. Um, they could decide for the lowest cost option that they were going to manufacture themselves. As I said, it's a simple process. Yeah. And with about half a million dollars of CapEx, they can have a full line of hundreds of thousands of units per year. So how does Keiko do it? I mean, is it a bolt-on product that comes from Keiko? Or? Uh, they have two varieties, in fact. They have a uh, rack-attached and a frame-attached version of the Ultraverter. And then they're also working on a, an embedded AC junction box uh, version. Yeah. Um, that seems like it would work really well, ironically, in the junction box that Trina uses, for example, like Tygo, right? Where it's a yeah. pop-in yeah. junction box. Yeah. Where you can really just pop in a Tygo or uh, or name, yeah. your, name your competitor, name your MLPE. Right? Yeah. Like, that seems like a standard that would be worth fighting for in the industry. Yeah, it, it, it is. Um, and, and I think there's been no standard developed that everyone believes in because, right. you know, whether it's... That's what it's, TS4, isn't it? Well, yeah, I mean, they have their own name for it, but oh, the, the, okay. the, the problem is is that they that there's no standard between SolarEdge, Tygo, yeah. Enphase, et cetera, in terms of a mounting bracket. Uh -huh. So everyone needs to have their own mounting bracket, and certainly we've developed our own mounting bracket as well, and it's right. proving extremely robust. Right. We've been testing AC modules in for, so, well, since almost a year now and without any issues whatsoever. So, so you, are you guys in discussions with like Amphenol and other people like that, licensing that mounting bracket? Or? No, no, we've, we've developed our own. Right. Yeah, but we I designed mean, our own. Right, but you're not in a position to manufacture it, so you'd need to license it to someone. Oh, yeah, we, we license it to our, our customers. I see. Oh, right. With no cost. With to, no cost. Trina. With no cost. We're in the semiconductor business. Right. So much like Intel sells their chipset to Lenovo, what a lot of people don't know about those relationships between Intel and Acer and Intel and, and Dell and all these people is that they are developing, they're literally doing the entire motherboard layout oh, because no they know how to thermally cool the device. So right. they know how hot it gets and when it gets hot and how to move the heat around. They do all the mechanical packaging as well. And they license that with no cost to their manufacturing partner. Wow. So Intel makes money on their ICs, but they create an entire production-ready product, which is exactly what Empower does. So for a, a new entrance into the U.S. market like GCL modules or someone like this, really huge world-class program, but they're just new to the U.S. market, they might consider something like an AC module as a differentiator. Right. But they have the strength in manufacturing to say, we'll just manufacture this ourselves. Right. This is injection molded plastic. This right. is stamped metal. These are things that we can do easily. Seems like something that the beam reach guys would be all over. Yeah, they would. I mean, I mean, some call them Selexal, but but yes, they call them beam reach now. Um, is it was it Selexal? Before? It was Selexal. Yeah, yeah. And, and in fact, one of our investors is a co-investor in that company as well. Oh, oh, cool. Yeah, and and so we've Such met with them. Incestuous industry. Well, they you know interesting. That was a good example of a pivot. So they were going after an extremely high voltage output module, high power, and like fifteen hundred volt. Uh, I think it was going for a thousand, thousand, a thousand volt VOC output, or was it continuous output? I'm not exactly sure, but it's it's completely contrary to what we believe, which right. is focus on the standard seventy two and sixty right. cell modules. Even even the specialty stuff like LG, whether it's seventy two cells at nearly four hundred watts, which is amazing, amazing. or three sixty five at sixty cell on their new cello technology, 
it works great with our current technology. Wow. So we can work on 60 and 72 cell modules. It just doesn't work on specialty stuff like sun power and yeah. it doesn't work on thin film. Now the Selexal people were going, just back to that story, and start talking about an entrepreneurial pivot they were going after the high voltage module, right? And the problem is they couldn't, they couldn't get it to scale. They couldn't get it to the, the counterparty in the manufacturing process, et cetera. The exact reasons I'm not exactly sure, but they said, hey, we have some really great core technology. We have some really, a really great team here. Let's just build a super high power standard 60 cell module right. and sell it into Resi. And that's exactly what they're doing. They're going after CNI and Resi with a 72 and 60 cell module and they're competing against LG. So like this kind of pivot will give new life to your business or right. it'll be the death of you. If you just say we're going down this path and you're not listening to the feedback, you can end yourself up in the sandbox. And yeah. that's where you don't yeah. want to be. Seth Godin is famous for saying at some point you need to decide if you're going to stop digging. Yes. Right. Yeah. And you also have to learn to fail fast. So when you're and that's really hard, especially when you're when it may be your idea. Uh, it, it's really hard. Yeah. So. You gotta you gotta go really fast down paths, very thoughtfully obvious. Yeah. And, and then and then you gotta learn, all right, it's not gonna work, we gotta stop. And then we gotta go in another direction. And that's really hard to do. Yeah, and that, and a, surround yourself with advisors. That's uh, your board of directors and your advisors are super, super important. Super important. One of the ways that I've become very interested in the entrepreneur mindset is understanding two things. I believe that uh, you have to read to lead. Um, so books are important. How you, the knowledge that you feed your mind with. So I'm always curious when I meet entrepreneurs to understand their reading habits. And mm. if you have in particular any books that you would recommend. Uh, gosh, right now I'm reading something from uh, Jack Cornfield, I believe is his name. And it's something about relationships. Um, and so it's, it's something that I'm doing for my personal soul satisfaction. Yeah. Um, so the, I'm, I'm reading that. It's about, uh, I think it's called uh, First the Ecstasy, Now the Laundry. Is it Jack Hanfield? No, Jack, Jack Cornfield, Cornfield, I think is his name. Okay. Anyway. First, uh, first the Ecstasy, Now for, the Laundry. Yeah, for, first thing I should remember is the title and the author of the book. But you it's know, fine. It's, it, you, it's just, I'll, I'll text you and see what it is because I always put it as a, a link in the show notes. You should. You should. And, um, you know, I've, I've started reading it and it's something that uh, I'm just personally working on mm. around uh, intimate relationships Yeah, and uh, how there's ebbs and flows naturally and yeah. that uh, the important ones you really need to figure out how you're either going to keep or not keep. Yeah. And it's so hard, especially, I mean, my personality in particular, it's hard to not keep. It's yeah. hard to decide. Yeah. I've invested in this relationship and it's okay that it's over. And, yeah, uh, it's it's hard sometimes. Yeah. Again, it's that it's that figure out if you're on the wrong path yeah. and you have to adjust. So along that line, sure. Uh, last question: What daily habit mm. or practice has made the most impact in your personal or professional growth? Uh, I think two things. Uh, the first is that I've I've begun a practice. Probably about the beginning of this year, I began a practice of about 15 minutes of of, of a guided meditation in the morning and 15 minutes in the after, evening time. Um, so that's been just really really helpful to start and finish my day. It, it gives me some bookends in grounding in my spirituality, it's, which yeah. is super super important to me. Um, and then the other thing is that I've been just very consistent on is three things, I guess. So the second thing is, is my, my primary relationships in my life. 
and yeah. maintaining and cultivating them. And cultivating in some cases may mean pruning. Um, and some cases it's obviously growing and changing yeah. and uh, making it different. Um, so obviously my relationship with myself and my wife and my children, very important. Mm. The third layer, I think, uh, is that I've, I've got great help. I mean, I've been working with a life coach for the last uh, 16 years, and same person and just amazing, amazing, amazing spiritual guidance. And it's work related because my, my, as a creator of my life, you know, my relationships and interactions and these sorts of things, it's, uh, it's, it's such, my spirituality is my basis and then everything grows yeah. from there. I know we've talked about this in the past, but I seem to have forgotten how do you go around, how did you go about finding a life coach? Oh, I was, uh, in fact, getting a, um, I was breaking up with my fiance oh. and her father worked with this person and she felt like I needed to have someone fix me. Mm. And so she asked her father if she could get the information that she gave me his information. Wow. And it's an interesting story because I had an office in Stockholm and I was living in New York at the time and I had flown to Stockholm. And I, before I left, I was in New York and I, I phoned this person and they, li they live in California. I had phoned this person and left a voicemail on their voicemail machine and then flew to Stockholm and it was, uh, you know, 5.30 at night, local time, but, uh, you know, 7 a.m. in California or something, you know, because there's such a big difference and it was summertime. And so I was outside having uh, dinner with a friend of mine from the office there and he called me on my cell phone. And, and I was, I, I said, you know, hello. So and so, you called me, you left a message, etc. We spent four hours on the phone that night. Wow! And our relationship started that night. Wow! I had I had been a survivor. That was a of, big cell phone bill in 1990. Yeah, it was huge. It was huge, but <laughs> but it was it's like a tiny cost, you yeah. know. It's it's, it's like were, nothing. I interrupted. You'd been a survivor. Well, I I'm, I I survived 9/11. I was literally underneath the South Tower on 9/11, and so. My I didn't know that. perspective changed wow. that morning, um, but not instantaneously. I mean, obviously, the horror and the terror and the, the, the day was just so pronounced in its own ways. Um, but thankfully, I survived. And, um, and then I, I went on a huge uh, sabbatical for almost six months, mm. uh, pretty much doing nothing but meditation and, and uh, kind of grounding and sort of parsing through what happened and, and watching the response internationally. Um, and uh, for me, uh, the basis was that uh, if the oil resources weren't so centralized in that area of the world, uh, would the potential for peace be much higher? And in my mind, the conflict in the Middle East, and, and I'm sure I'll have a lot of disagreement on this subject, but but in my mind, the entire Middle East disagreement is over power and money and oil. Mm. And if there wasn't that, that very easily monetizable and fungible mm. resource there, people would probably live in quite a high level of peace. Uh, if you look back at the earliest civilizations, back to the, the, the times where they were you know, making uh, reeds, uh, read figures on clay, making stucco impressions for the first communication tools. Um, the Tigris and Euphrates is like the breadbasket of modern civilization. Right. There was fair levels of, of integration of different people right. from all over the place. And there was fair levels of peace. 
Yeah. And so I think that with the centralized resource that is so easy to exploit, it, it becomes a tool that is um, very difficult not to poison societies. And so my life work as in vocation is to get ourselves away from that problem. Meaning yeah. we decentralize the problem by making decentralized solar generation very high quality by adding solar electricity storage and making it interactive with a great solar software platform and cloud interactivity and IoT visibility, et cetera, et cetera. And that's what we're focused on in EdPower is nothing short of creating a new energy paradigm that doesn't require war, doesn't require global warming or uh, temperature change or whatever you want to call it, doesn't require fracking and killing our water supply. Yeah allows people in places at the bottom of the pyramid to change their lives in ways that are just unfathomable. I mean, 90% of all kidnapping and rape in the third world happens when women are out getting firewood. If we could offset that need with hot water heaters and plate heaters that are powered by sun with some energy storage component, so deep into the night they have some sort of LED lights and they have a cooking component, then there's no need to go find firewood which brings the women back into the village, which means that the family unit can start to exist again. So it's, this is more than just like, hey, great, let's build tens and hundreds of millions of dollar value businesses, which are completely relevant because in order to be sustainable, it must be economically sustainable. That's right, and it needs scale. It must be. Yeah. Wow, it's always really fun to catch up with you, John. Really great. Thanks for having me, Nico. It's, it's yeah. great to see you. I love catching up. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for being on the show. Super. That's a wrap on today's conversation, Solar Warriors, and you're now well-armed for battle. Hopefully, you'll take away some great tools for your own success. I'd love it if you'd share what you learned or share the episode over on LinkedIn. Let me know what other tools you need. If you want to sharpen the axe a little bit more, I've shared some of the resources we discussed in today's conversation over at mysuncast.com. Just click on the latest episode link in the title bar. Perhaps the best tool in your arsenal might be subscribing to the mailing list while you're there so that you'll get an email from yours truly when new content is available. Have a suggestion for someone you think should join the conversation? Email me, nico at mysuncast.com or shoot me a message on LinkedIn. Hey, that's it. Thanks for being here. Until next time, stay informed, my friend, and stay tuned.